Right. Um, just want to say, really, before we get into uh, what we're going to talk about, is a couple of things from worship this morning. Yeah. We started off by saying, high on the mountain, I will be lifting my voice. Well, yeah, that's true. But the, the point for me is the high on the mountain, I'll be lifting my voice. And later on, Pastor said it's about acknowledging God. Acknowledging God in the assembly, acknowledging God wherever. I hope that the word that we bring today is going to help that to be a truth, a declaration that you'll take on board. Okay? All right. So uh, we're going to be looking at uh, Isaiah chapter 40. Okay, if you can turn, the, turn to it or get it up on your iPad or your phone or whatever you do. <laughs> so it's Isaiah 40. And in particular, we're looking at verse 9. Okay. So you who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Amen. Yeah. Okay. Looking at this, I could actually summarise this in three words and we could be out of this place. <laughs> but... It's not the right thing to do, is it? Yeah. And let's face it, you know, sort of if Ed Sheeran came on stage and sort of read 12 titles of songs out and then said, thanks for coming by, you wouldn't be very happy. It wouldn't be really the right thing, would it? So hopefully we're going to look further into, uh, into this and we're going to hear God, what God has to say through it. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. So, first and foremost, I'm going to just look quickly uh, at the context. Looking at the whole of Isaiah, it was um, written uh, something about 2,500 years ago. It was written or spoken to uh, the Hebrew nation, the Israelite nation, who were in captivity in Babylon. It was from 605 BC to 539 BC. That's, it's approximately 70 years. It's like a lifetime, isn't it, for some people? In fact, more than a lifetime for some people. Right? It's a lifetime in captivity and in exile. It's um, told us that uh, in 2 Kings 25, uh, that it was Nebuchadnezzar, the king of uh, Babylon, that was God's instrument to punish the, the people for sin and in Isaiah 44 which I, I will just read Isaiah 44 if you want to turn to it because it's nice and close isn't it Isaiah 44 22, 22. Um, sorry no I'll, I'll go on from 22 uh, it's just on 24 it says this is what the Lord says but then moving on to uh, halfway through 26, it says, This is what the Lord says of Jerusalem. It shall be inhabited. Of the towns of Judah, they shall be built. And of their ruins, I will restore them. 
he says to the water deep, be dry and I will dry up your streams. And this is the point I want to make. He says of Cyrus, who was the king of Persia, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt and of the temple, let its foundations be laid. Now Cyrus wasn't an acknowledger of God. And we talked about this, about yeah, we need to acknowledge God but he's able to use people that don't acknowledge him. Later on in that chapter, it actually says that. Even though you don't acknowledge me, I will use you for my purposes. So that's the sort of God that was talking to them. So uh, he was the instrument, God's instrument, for freedom and restoration for, uh, for that nation, for the rebuilding of Jerusalem and for rebuilding of the towns of Judah. So chapters 1 to 39 are basically warnings of God's judgment for their unfaithfulness, for the fact that they trusted earthly rulers rather than him. Chapters 40 to 55 bring a promise of redemption, and chapters 56 to 66 describe the fulfilment of those promises when the, when the people are uh, actually... Well, those, full, those promises come to be, don't they? And they go back to uh, Jerusalem and those, uh, and those things happen. So, as we said, chapter 40 begins with the promises of redemption. It's a prophetic word. Uh, it's a word of comfort and hope to um, what must be a disillusioned bunch of people. Yeah? They spent seven, almost 70 years in captivity. They must be at that point where they're thinking, you know, is there any future for our nation? Yeah? Will God work again for us? In fact, can God work for us in this situation? Yeah? It must have been quite a hopeless situation. And yet, Isaiah's word comes in and says, yes. He announces that their sin has been paid for. That's in verse 2, verse two uh, going back to 40, yeah. So chapter 40, verse 2, says, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her, hand, her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. Now note that. He doesn't say that you've paid the price, that you've earned your freedom because you've served 70 years here. He says, your sin has been paid for. He has decided to pay the price. He's forgiven them. He has said, enough is enough. Okay? Absolutely. So, chapter, uh, sorry, uh, verses three to four continue. Uh, a voice of one calling in the desert Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. So that really is a message to them, as I say, a message of hope, saying that there is nothing, no barriers will stand in the way of God bringing redemption to you. Right? Yeah. Your captivity is finished, your sin has been paid for, and you're going to be returned back. You will make your way through the, uh, the deserts, 
to your homeland because I have prepared the way. Right? And in verse 5, he says, And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So everybody is going to see it. It's not going to be done in secret. He's going to show that he does still work, and he can work and will work. So the following verses, um, I'm not going to read those, verses 6 to 8, it talks about men are like grass and uh, flowers of the field. Basically, it's talking about the fickleness of men, that they're unfaithful, uh, that they fall by the wayside, uh, but God's promises stand forever. They can rely on his promises. And ultimately, he is the Lord of human history. So, that's as far as we're going with the context, other than to say that these are words that are spoken directly, they're the current words, to a people in captivity, right? They had a distinct purpose to bring comfort and to tell them of what was going to happen, give them encouragement. But we know that the word is a living word, isn't it? And it doesn't necessarily have one meaning. In fact, it very rarely has one meaning. God always uh, has more to reveal in his word. Pastor Tony himself has said uh, on the other week, hearing the word is not enough. We can hear the word and not really gain anything from it. Right? We must learn to hear what God is saying. And what is he saying in this uh, passage? Well, before that, let's just say, Psalm 62, verse 11 says, one thing God has spoken, two things have I heard. Yeah? And we need to be in that place of hearing two things. There is always hidden manner at the core of what he says. Hidden manner. It's um, revelation. And it's a revelation that comes to the person that is prepared to work at it, to read into it, and to ask God to reveal it to him. Okay? That's the importance of reading the word. So, Isaiah 40 illustrates this, that it's a word for yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It was a word 2,500 years ago to the exiles in Babylon. It was a word... 500 years after that, with John the Baptist, we've known the, 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 the scripture, the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way. So it was a, a word that was, that was relevant to John the Baptist to announcing Jesus' coming, the coming of salvation again, right? And it's a word that's still current to us today. 2,000 years after that, so 2,500 years altogether, it's relevant to us because we have a message to deliver. We We have a gospel to proclaim. We have a God to acknowledge. So, verse 9. Again, I'll read it. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain... You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout, lift it up, do not be afraid, say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. So what does it tell us to do? It says, 
well, let's say, who is it talking to? It's talking to you, and it's talking to you, and it's talking to me, right? It says, go. Go up on a high mountain. Right? It says, stand on that high mountain. It doesn't actually use the word stand, but it says, go up onto the high mountain, stand there, and then lift up your voice, speak. And those are the three words that I could have summarised all of that in. Go, stand, and speak. Okay. So let's look at go. <laughs> at the beginning of the year, Pastor told us to focus towards pressing, pushing, and pursuing God until we individually and corporately have established the testimony of God through everything we do. Also recently, he has spoken this word to the Dream Centre, and it's been to stand up, step in, stand upon, I'd put stand on, and stay in, and not to let go, give in, or give up. And if you want the expansion of that, look on Facebook this week, because Pastor put a fantastic breakdown of all of that. Today we say go, stand, and speak. So go where to? There are many texts that say go, I'll just read a few. Galatians 2.9, go unto the heathen. Acts 8.29, go unto this people. Mark 16.15, go unto all the world. Luke 14.23, go into the highways. And Matthew 28.19, go, make disciples of all nations. Pastor's just said it actually, but we're told to go from the upper room into the marketplace. So where's your marketplace? Is it your workplace? Is it your school, playground? Is it an aircraft? Going, you know, you shared this morning, Kath. For me, is it the coffee shop on Market Street? Because I always say to David that I go for a coffee most days. And that is my marketplace. So where is yours? Wherever we meet people, they have needs, don't they? And they don't know what always that they have them. So people are ready and right for hearing sometimes. But it's not our call, is it, to decide who will accept or reject Christ. And I learned that the hard way. Oh, I don't know, it might be 20 years ago. I started a new job in care. It was a new project. So most of the people, the staff, were new. So we got a bond. All the staff were in the same boat, so we're all friends. At Holy Trinity Church, someone, I can't even remember now, decided that we'd do a mission. And we were asked, would we open up our homes for coffee and cake? But we had to be honest and say there would be a 10-minute God slot at the end of it. So off I toddled to work, and I put things through my neighbor's doors, and off I toddled to work, and I invited all the people that started the new job, all the people that I was friendly with, apart from Elaine. Now, I looked upon Elaine as a young, pretty girl, clubbing it, drinking, uh, got a boyfriend living with him. Uh, I didn't think that she would come to my coffee morning. So I didn't invite her. Uh, bless her, a few days prior to it, the coffee morning, she said to me, Oi! Why haven't you invited me to the coffee morning? To which I replied, I was honest, well, I didn't think it was your bag. I didn't think it was your scene because we're going to be talking God at the end. She says, well, I want to come. 
So I said, you're very welcome. So the coffee morning was, was a massive success and, and everything. And then towards the end, somebody said to me, uh, that young girl uh, with the red hair is in the back room giving her life to Jesus. And everything inside me thought, wow, that has really woke me up, hasn't it? I decided Elaine wouldn't be interested. And from Elaine, then her boyfriend gave his life to Christ. And from that, we did a Gareth and Helen marriage at the church because they decided that they would be married. So for me deciding, Elaine wouldn't be interested. It, it, some say it's 20 years ago, but it stays with me, and I think, well, Veronica, don't ever, ever do that again. Um, a few Sundays ago, David and I decided to walk round with the pram round this area of new property. Never done it before, and it's been there a long time, hasn't it? And Mary Blesser came a few Sundays later and commented about all the new property that's going up around this church. There's a new community, isn't there, growing on our doorstep. Our fields are white unto harvest, and we only have to step out the door. So go is a command to action, isn't it? We cannot follow Jesus and stay where we are. So going is the first step of being a witness. Okay, okay. okay that's going. What about standing? There are certain qualities that we need in order to stand. If you think about, I don't know, a lighthouse or something like that, it needs to be built firmly on a rock, doesn't it? And think, because it's going to get buffeted by the waves. Uh, loads of uh, illustrations I can give for that, but at the point, what I'm saying is there are things that we need. And we've uh, looked at uh, three. In actual fact, it came from the Wizard of Oz. Yeah? <laughs> We all know the story of the Wizard of Oz, how Dorothy goes uh, um, on a journey and she meets three new friends, the Scarecrow, the Tin Man and the Lion. Now, each of those characters is in need of something, aren't they? Yeah? The Scarecrow needs a brain, the Tin Man needs a heart and the Lion needs courage. So how does that relate to us? Well, I'm saying that we need those three things, yeah? We need a brain. By brain, I mean we need knowledge. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we need, that we need to be theologians or doctors of divinity or anything like that. We don't even need to know that much about the Bible. What we really have, the knowledge that we need, is the experiential knowledge, the knowledge of being born again. And that is the strongest testimony that we can have. It's the strongest thing that we can use. Yeah? It's an acknowledged fact that it's the first few weeks as, as a new Christian that are the most fruitful in our lives. It's the time when we go out and we don't care. We go and we speak to people. We tell them what's happened. So... That's the amount of knowledge that we need. The heart. What does the heart speak of? Well, it always is equated with love, isn't it? The heart is love. Um, 
I think uh, I've not actually no, put the quote down, easy. but basically you know no, the uh, 1 Corinthians, no, yeah, yeah 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Um, yeah, if I speak with the, uh, yeah. the tongues of angels yeah. and yeah. men and all the rest of it, yeah. if I have not love, I'm just a clanging gong or a cymbal, yeah. Yeah? yeah, it doesn't matter how eloquently I speak, it doesn't matter how strong my arguments are or anything of that nature if I haven't got love in there, if I don't care about the person I'm talking to, I'm not going to achieve God's purpose. So, is it our love for the lost? Is it our passion for the lost or is it our lost passion, I wonder, really? I'm probably going to say something that's... Uh, I know it's all right because Pastor and Phil have said it, so... <laughs> um, I know I read sort of a while ago about if we really, really loved our family, neighbours, friends, colleagues, if we really loved them and believed in hell, we would do something about it, wouldn't we? And um, so I think, it's only a short thing, but I think that we have to come to that place of like, I'll put you on the spot, Mel, looking at your Tony. Where's he going? You know, you've got to witness, haven't you? You've got to come, you've got to do it. If we really believe mm. in a hell, a physical hell, then we're not going to want anyone. I'm not going to want little Mary down that street who's on the second round of cancer. I don't want her to go to hell, do I? I'm doing everything to talk to her. and She keeps pushing me away, having said that, but we keep going, we keep going. So that's, that should be, really, um, the massive impact that should have on our witness, big time. I think Veronica used the term the other day, we should be aggressive. Now, I don't know how I felt about that, but what she actually (laughs) said was, Marcus, I could throttle him. (laughs) Because I've done everything with Marcus. We've sat, we've talked, we've debated, we did it. And now I just feel like getting my hands around his throat and telling him, you know, that's what I meant. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, courage. 2 Timothy uh, verses 1, sorry, 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, God has not given us a spirit of timidity. Yeah? And yet, the number one reason that Christians give for not witnessing is fear. Yeah. Yeah? It's fear of rejection. It's fear of embarrassment. Fear of offending somebody. Fear of being labelled as a fanatic. Fear of being made fun of. It's a shame, isn't it? That we're afraid of things of that nature when there are people in other countries that are in fear of the life but still speak out yeah Yeah. we don't I have a friend my best friend probably at uni uh, is an absolutely fantastic witness whatever the situation if somebody comes with a problem uh, or you know some upset She's immediately in there, offering help, offering words of consolation, words of hope uh, and things, and so on. Only one difficulty. She's a spiritualist. She believes herself to be uh, a Christian, having been brought up in the Catholic Church. She's um, a spiritualist. She believes in God in everything, the oneness of the whole world and the leaves and uh, everything speak to her 
and so on. It's wonderful if we could just get that sort of <laughs> ability, it, not yeah. ability, but the enthusiasm, yeah, so the passion yeah. to do it. Yeah. And as I say, I admire her, but... Sincere, but yeah. sincerely wrong. Yeah. My problem is that I know that I've got a witness to her. Yeah. Yeah. And although I speak, we speak to some degree about it, and she will say, you know where I'm coming from. <laughs> I get as far as saying, well, you know, we go so far, but then, yeah. you know, I can only go so far with you. I've got to get further beyond that yeah. because I believe that God sent me to uni for her. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Watch this space, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if, I'm, if I'm obedient, yeah, it'll happen. It. So, we're saying about jousting. But dare I say it, there are some things to be learned from lots of people, from the gay community, from the radical Islamic fanatics, lots of people, the abortionists, everything. They, the thing we have to get from them, learn from them is that they are coming out of the closet. Mm. They are making their bold stand. They are talking about what they believe in. And it isn't, isn't it about time that we, as Christians, got into that same place, come out of the closet, yeah. stop being camouflaged Christians and looking like everybody else. We've been given clothes of righteousness, robes of righteousness. We should be standing out and we should be speaking in that situation. Yeah? Yeah. So, 2 Timothy 1 verse 8 says... Do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Do we hear that? Yeah, do not knows. be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Because when we allow fear to stop us, fear of embarrassment and all, all those things, we're actually saying we're ashamed. We're ashamed of saying it. Now, I'm not advocating... Well, we said about aggression. I'm not advocating that we should be aggressive and militant and obnoxious like some of the, uh, the, these minority groups can be. But what we do need to do is we need to dare to be different. We need to dare to speak the truth. And we need to dare to be men and women of godly courage. So if we turn to Acts 4, 18 to 20, I don't know what... In, um well, what Bibles you have, but I'll read what I've got here. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. I love that. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They were so struck by the glory of God that they could not speak it out. They, all, all they could do was speak it out, even unto death. They couldn't help it. They couldn't stop it. I want some of that. A bit like about like watching a cat with a mouse in a way. It's, naturally, it's its natural impulse, and it can't help it. And that's how we should be in our witness from instinct, by impulse. It should be on our lips, shouldn't it? So I'm declaring, like, bring it on. Okay. Okay. Imagine yourself at home one evening, you're watching the telly, 
there's a knock on the door. You go and you answer it. No, it's not the Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> it's a man who stands there very meekly and says, um, I'm sorry to take up your time and I hope you can spare me a minute or two, but um, you wouldn't be at all interested in buying a vac. Sorry? You wouldn't be interested in buying a vac, would you? Do you think you're going to buy a vac from him? No. You're not, you know. You need, that salesman needs to have a belief in what, you know, in what he's selling. And that is what I believe we need. A touch of BBC. Now, I don't mean British Broadcasting Corporation. <laughs> it's a touch of boldness, a touch of belief, and a touch of conviction. The boldness to speak out, the belief that what we've got is good, and the conviction that it's what God wants as well, and God is going to make it happen if we make that first step. There are many ways to speak, or shall I say, there are many ways to communicate. I was um, at the food bank the other day and I got into reading uh, a, Christian uh, a Christian magazine in uh, St Mary's. And it was actually uh, an article about the, the rock group, U2. Now, I don't know whether we've got any U2 fans here, but what it was talking about was that for 40... Well, they have stayed in the mainstream. We know that there are loads of um, Christian artists... There's a Christian labels and, you know, Christian artists generally tend to work that way. But you too made a conscious decision to stay in the mainstream. And for 40 years, they have witnessed through their songs. If you've ever read the, the lyrics of many of their songs, you'll find that they're based on Psalm 40. There's one based on Isaiah 40. There's lots of them that are there if you only look, yeah? No, they're not ideal, are they? They're not the ideal witnesses. Yeah, we've all seen Bono with his uh, language sometimes and everything else, but they're still making a witness. Yeah. We don't have to be perfect to be a witness. Thankfully. Yeah. I try uh, at uni, in the work that I do, the artwork and things, to convey my witness so it's one thing I want to try to do. Um, at the end of term last year, the piece that I did was actually to, to make like an altarpiece, a sort of altarpiece anyway, with um, a triptych and an altar and everything. Uh, and it was intentional to be a provoking work because what I did was actually do uh, a performance. I took a communion service. Not a strict you know, sort of Christian service, it was, you could say, you could look at it and say, oh, he's making fun of the church. Mm. Well, fine, as long as you make, you know, but it was there, provoking people to think about what was religion all about, to, um, and hopefully there would be some sort of response from that in some way. You know, sometimes it's some, just something like Christmas, isn't it, that sort of gets you thinking about what is Christianity about. That's what that uh, work was trying to do. And so what I was able to do was actually get people 
physically to go through the motions. People went to this little altar and knelt down because I'd uh, very manipulatively uh, put a soundtrack on, headphones, which could, they, they had to kneel down to sort of put them on. Uh, so they had to do that, and we did a communion service, as I say, with the tin of baked beans, and yeah. yeah. So I hope that something was stirred through that. But there's a saying uh, that's attributed to Francis of Assisi, which said, go speak the, uh, spread the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Now, I used to think that was a good saying. So did I, but I Yeah. And the problem with it is, it's a bit like the, the modern say, uh, speech, actions speak louder than words. Yeah, actions do speak loudly. But, you know, from our experience, actions speak, but without the words, the meaning's lost, yeah. you know. People talk to us every day about fostering and the children and all that sort of thing, and almost every time you'll get some comment at the end of it something like oh aren't you good it's a good job there are people like you and i could hit myself because i can't find the way of taking that forward <laughs> so i'll open it up for a competition if anybody can find the right Master. way to get that moving on there's a free coffee in it for you <laughs> uh, yeah just ask phil yeah yeah So, uh, the, the best way to communicate, really, at the end of the day, is just being yourself, yeah? No use being false, be yourself. Don't, sorry, don't be a camouflaged Christian, as I said before. We've got robes of righteousness, we should Come be standing on. out. Yeah. And be prepared to take the first step. Open your mouth and let the Holy Spirit guide you from that point on, mm. yeah? So Remember good. that earlier statement that we made, the most fruitful time is in those first few weeks. It's about passion. We had a passion then, and I'm, I'm going to ask now, I've, Veronica's already said it to some degree, but do you still have a passion for the lost? Yeah. Or do you have a lost passion? We need to rekindle the fire of our first love. Yeah. Absolutely, definitely. So we're looking to conclude. Uh, we summarised in verse 9 with these three words, didn't we? Go, stand, speak. So go deals with the consistency of our witness. Stand deals with the courage of our witness. And speak deals with the communication of our witness. But in conclusion, I would ask that each one of us should examine our own hearts and answer honestly. Do you really have a desire to be a witness? I would even put it to you, it's not optional. Thank you. Well done, guys. Well done. You know, arts is probably one of those areas still left open where you can be controversial. You think about it. Because everything is interpreted through art and some of the things that they, they do under the name of art staggers me. 
absolutely staggers me. And you can do any, it's all, it almost seems like the, there are no rules or laws or boundaries to what one perceives as being art. So it's a great opportunity for us to use art. Because if there's no boundaries and no one's, you know, shutting us down in that area, and if you're artistic, get it out. Because one thing about art, you know what it does? It provokes conversation. And it's in the conversation on the one-to-one or the, the group that you can begin to say things that you're, maybe you wouldn't be allowed to say in other areas. So if you're artistic, draw, paint, sculpture, design, create, get it out there. It's a time where we've got to use what we've got in order for it to give us a platform to speak what we know. It's a time to use what you've got so it can build a platform so you can speak about the one you know. Amen? Winning the lost is a very, very important thing for us as a church. I keep saying to you, these empty empty chairs here. Now, that can be because we've got people away on holiday, and that's true. Quite a few are away. um, But they're not. Those chairs in there are not. And we're looking to take this wall out. We're looking to take, get rid of the cafe and go two stories, right? So the whole thing turns around. So church is that way. And you can't do that without people being reached. Yeah? Now, we don't, we don't want to turn a building around just because it's a new building. But we want to be a purpose-built building. And our purpose is to reach people. We, have, we should have... T- Two or three purposes, passions, all right, one purpose manifesting in different ways. One has always got to be reach the lost. Another one has got, our, our purpose has got, and our passion's got to be to know God. Because when you bring people in and you're going out, you must go out with a passion. I want people to know the God I know. Yeah? I don't just want, I just don't want them to know about the God I know, but I want them to know the God I know. So if you're going to be a witness, you better know. You better, know the, you better know the Father, you better know the Son, and you better know the Holy Spirit. Because you're introducing them to a person, you're not introducing them to a religion. You're introducing them to a person, and that person will so radically change their lives. And when people come in there and they, and they see us worshipping the way they do, they'll go, whoa, freakos. But you know, if this was a disco and we put a ball on it, and lights were flashing, and that music was playing, well, they feel okay about that. So, don't let that worry us. There's no light, there's no ball, there's no lights flashing. But we've got to be who we are, amen? And um, so mobilizing the church is the most difficult thing any leader will ever do in his life. So I want to thank you both this morning. You've stirred us, you've educated us, you've enthused us. And the phrase, it's more than a phrase, it must be our challenge. Has the church lost its passion? Oh, sorry, how did you phrase it, sorry? Passion for the lost, that's it. Or have you lost your passion? Do we have a passion for the lost or have we lost our passion? And you know what? Both live in this room. Some have a passion and some days I lose a passion. Other days I get it back again. Some have never had a passion for the lost, but it's time to get the passion back in our hearts for the lost. I want to be an opportunist. You know, a thief is the biggest opportunist on planet Earth. A thief looks, boom, he looks for an opportunity. That's all they ever do. 
As a Christian witness, all you need to do is look for an opportunity to sit and talk with someone. Reach out. Amen? So let's stand to our feet, if we will. Let's finish. There's tea and coffee there available for you. Just go over and help yourself. And um, So, Father, the heartbeat of heaven is resounding in our hearts this morning. Give us a passion for what you have a passion for. Give us a passion for what you have a passion for. Give us a passion for those who you are passionate about. Let us do those things passionately that you do passionately. Father, I pray for your hand, your hands to be upon this vessel, this church. Father, mold us, mold us into the shape, Father, that can carry love, grace, forgiveness, power, healing, strength, clarity. Father, all those things that this society of ours is crying out for and lacks. Father, I pray that you will mold this house as a strategic vessel so it can be used strategically for this city, for this nation, and for the nations of the world. Father, I pray for sculptures. I pray, oh God, that men's words will come and sculpt us and bring life and shape and define us. I pray, oh God, for, for the artist of, of the spirit realm to paint us, decorate us, that makes us more and more attractive to the lost. Oh, Father, I pray for heaven to be involved in this church. We don't want a man-driven, man-run church, oh God. Father, we want heaven's best in this house, oh God. Oh, Father, I pray even this week, opportunities will afford us. Holy Spirit, speak to us, remind us, help us to step in to an opportunity this week. We ask this in Jesus' holy name. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Amen.